my dear friend, my dear sister in the Lord, my mentor, it was Maria Pastor who showed us the importance of prayer, of worship, and sitting at his feet. To God be the glory. Sunday is Father's Day, and I know that Pastor and Yvonne, they don't have biological children, but they have children, and they have children that will live for eternity, and I want you to show them as much love as possible, really. It's so important that we love one another. Um, let me pray. Father, I thank you for every woman gathered in this room. I thank you, God, that we can finally come together and worship you, Lord, and not through a Zoom camera, God, but we could just be together in the presence of the Lord, God, and I just pray, God, that you would fall in this place as you have already done, God. Thank you for Pastor Jason. Thank you for the worship team. Thank you, God, for the musicians, God. Thank you, oh God, for their sensitivity, God. Thank you that they've already turned this place into holy ground, Lord. So help me, oh God. Speak to me and through me. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen. Well, as you could tell, I'm not from Chicago. I am from New York. And um, in January 2020, we transitioned. Uh, our church went from being Christ Tabernacle to Saints Church. And our youngest son, Chris, took over. And uh, we are on team uh, we are so excited. We do whatever we need to do. If it's put out the chairs, we're there. If it's to preach a sermon, we are there because we're all a part of the body of Christ. And even though uh, we, we our title changed, our position in Christ didn't change. And ladies, you need to know that because we're going to address some of those things tonight. I have the wonderful opportunity of traveling the world. God has seen fit to send me to places. I am 70 years old. I'm going to be 71 in December. I know it, it is amazing. This hair is a result of COVID. I couldn't go out and dye it. So then this came out. I was like, Lord, I feel like you kissed me on the cheek. I don't spend any more money dyeing my hair. I keep it short. I have naturally wavy hair. I didn't even know that. I mean, God is so good. But, um, uh, I, I have the opportunity to meet so many women and so many women that have served the Lord for decades and decades, women that have been in certain positions uh, in their church and then th their position changes just like my position changed. And um, there's one question that always comes up and it's this, is God done with me? Where do I belong? Where's my place? And I want to address the elephant in the room because you know that the church of Jesus Christ, there's this great divide between the old and the young. And it should not be. Uh, people who have served the Lord, they feel like, like God is done with them. And I know because I read the word, God uses old people. 
right? Look at Abraham and Sarah. He was 75 years old when God revealed himself to him. At 100 years old and at 90, Sarah and Abraham had a baby and th- which started a movement. Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, was 88 years old when she gave birth to John the Baptist. Moses was 80 years old when he saw the burning bush which catapulted him into his destiny. And Enoch lived 365 years and he walked with the Lord. So I don't think the problem is old versus young. I think the problem is fresh versus stale. Fresh versus stale. I don't know about you, but I used to hear the scripture. Now I'm say 46 years, so I would hear the scripture, new wine calls for new wineskins. And I love that because I thought that meant new as in new people, as in young people. But I started to study the scripture and that word new as in new wine is the Greek word for, is the word neo. And in the Greek, it means new, absolutely new outpourings of the Holy Spirit There is absolutely nothing that can compare to it. Man cannot create it. It's unique. But the word new wineskin, new wine, calls for new wineskins. But the original word is calls for fresh wineskins. And that's the word uh, kenos. And that word means fresh. So it's not a a stale versus, uh, it's not an old versus young. It's a fresh versus stale. God wants to pour his new wine into fresh wineskins because stale is not an option for any single one of us in the body of Christ. I don't care how old you are. Listen, Caleb at 85 years old said, give me the hill country. Give me the hard places. As a matter of fact, the older we are in the Lord, the more we should be hearing from him, the more we should be leaning in, and the more uh, uh, we should be willing to take the harder places. There's no retirement in God. There's absolutely no retirement in God. Look at what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.15. He says, even though the outward man is wasting away, even though this outward man has wrinkles and crinkles, the inward man is being renewed day by day. He's saying, listen, on the outward, I've acquired some things that I didn't have when I was young. He says, but the inward man, I am a six foot runway model. And that's how we need to see ourselves. Stale is not an option. So let's get into the word. I named this the lifeline. Have you ever uttered the words, I'm just hanging in there when asked, how are you doing? Anybody? How are you doing? I'm just hanging in there. So my question today is, why do we oftentimes find ourselves so dry? Why, as believers, do we have so many dry seasons? Think about this. In the world that we live in, we have every Christian resource available. We have Christian TV. We have websites. We have podcasts, Christian music. We have how-to books for every stage, every age. We have daily devotionals to, to encourage us. We have the one-year Bible plan We have it in all different translations, yet we find ourselves so dry. Is life really harder 
than it was in the days of the apostles. They were beaten. They were in prison. They had no freedom of speech. They traveled on foot. They had no Dr. Scholl's. They had no pedicures. They had no Uber. They had no public transportation. We have the written word of God with footnotes. We have commentaries to interpret it. We have the same Holy Spirit that they have. Yet, we find ourselves oftentimes so dry. And I oftentimes think this when I find myself in that condition. Maybe I need to read more. Maybe I need to pray more. And those things, as important as they are, is not the issue. The issue is not, am I too, uh, do I need to pray more or read more? The issue is that, not that I am too, too empty, the issue is that I'm too full. We're too full. We oftentimes find ourselves, we're constantly taking in, taking in. We hear sermon after sermon. We come to prayer meetings. We watch people on TV uh, preach. We listen to worship uh, music. We're taking it in. We're taking it in. But we're really like a well of stored up information because we don't have any outflow. Like the Dead Sea, it's the richest in minerals and vitamins uh, and nutrients, but yet it has no tributaries. And oftentimes for us as the body of Christ, we have no tributaries. It's not that we're too empty. It's that we're too full. There's no outlet. So I discovered, I've, I really searched this because of a whole, uh, my own personal life. God, why am I so dry? So, uh, uh, I realized that it's really not as complicated as I thought it was. As a matter of fact, it's really quite obvious. In order to find the cure for dryness, we have to go to the source. Because Genesis 1.27 says that tells us that we are made in God's image and likeness. So it stands to reason what satisfies God will satisfy us because he's the author of life. So I want to give us some basic God facts. He's the ancient of days. Yet God is always relevant. So we know this, that God owns everything. The Bible tells us he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. So God is rich. He has money. He has capital. And he's not a vegan. He owns cattle. Thank you, Jesus. Number two, another God fact. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. He owns prime real estate. Number three, we know he owns heaven. And in heaven, there's these streets of gold and these pearly gates and these walls of jasper. So God owns sparkly things. Now, you would think all of those possessions would satisfy God. You would think he would walk around heaven every day and tell the angel Gabriel and the angel Michael, the archangel, to show him those streets of gold. Show me those streets of gold. Let me see my reflection. Oh, show me those pearly gates. Show me those walls of, 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 of jasper. But God doesn't feel like that at all. So the first thing we could learn about God's nature is that possessions are not the cure for dryness. Living in the best neighborhood, because he lives in heaven, location, location, is not the cure for happiness. The truth of the matter is, is that God who owns everything wasn't satisfied until he had someone to share it with. God is the author of 
relationships. We only love him. Why? Because he first loved us. We didn't choose him. He chose us. And this is a divine mystery. The God who possesses everything longs for us. Deuteronomy 32, 9 says, for the Lord's portion, for the Lord's satisfaction is his people, not the angels, not the mountains, not the valleys. Pastor Jason said it. That was just a prelude to him making man in his image and likeness because we are God's treasure. Heaven itself wasn't satisfying to God unless he had someone to share it with. God, who is the anointing, wasn't satisfied until he had someone to pour that anointing into and see himself replicated and imitated in somebody else's life. God needed relationships and was willing to pay a great price in order to have those connections. The father gave up his one and only son. So here we see relationships are costly, guys. Relationships are costly. It's going to cost you to connect with your sisters in the Lord. It's going to, uh, it, it's going to take from you. Not everything is going to be a walk in the park. Listen, think about this. God, by creating man, he put himself out there. He didn't have to. And because he created man, that made him subject to betrayal. It made him subject to rebellion, to feeling abandoned. So I think that this reveals two more things about God, that he loves people more than he loves himself, more than he loves his possessions, more than he loves his comforts, more than he loves his home. And B, he loves to give of himself to others, and he'll go to any length to do so. So I think we could draw this conclusion. We're never more like God or more satisfied than when we're loving people more than we love our possessions, our comfort, and our very own life. I don't know about you, but there's nothing more satisfying to me than when I am blessing someone else. To me, giving has become a selfish act because there's nothing like the feeling of giving. I don't get that feeling when I'm receiving. I get that feeling when I'm giving. I have a motto. I say, you ain't living unless you're giving, you know? And I feel such an excitement. There's an overflow. There's something in me. I can't wait to bless somebody. I can't wait to send someone a scripture or affirm someone else. And God is in the people business, and he placed us in his people's business. That's the most important job in the world. Stop trying to find your purpose. Just love somebody. Just love people. Love the unlovely. Love the people that love you back. Love people. Listen, I never had a mother. My mother died pregnant with me. But I purposed not to. I grew up with in terrible conditions. Some of you have heard my testimony, but I could have easily said, well, I never had a mother, so I am not going to mother other people. A lot of us use our, uh, 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 our past as an excuse not to, not to step forward and be what you were called to be. Hebrews 6, 10 and 12, it says this, this is it. We show God how much we love him 
Because you can't buy God a present by the way we love his people. And then it says, and continue to do so. So loving people is not a one-time act. Loving people is not a one-time act and you sit home by the phone waiting for that person to call you back or for someone to bless you back and continue to do so. And this is how it says it in the New Living. It says, then you will not become spiritually dull and unproductive. So we see here the direct link to remain spiritually sharp is by loving people. And as women, we were created as nurturers. We were created as life givers. We were created to pour our life into other people. So I'm going to use a very obscure um, uh, scripture. It's in the Song of Songs. It's Song of Songs, chapter 8, verses 8 to 10. And it's about these concerned siblings, these brothers and sisters. So the NIV says this, we have a little sister, or one version says a younger sister, and her breasts are not yet developed. Now in this context, the word breast symbolizes spiritual maturity. So these younger siblings are concerned for their younger sister. So they go on to say, what can we do for our sister? They're basically saying, listen, we're fine, but she's not. Our younger sister hasn't matured yet. She hasn't come into her own yet. And then they go on to say, let's help her. Let's not talk about her. Let's not scrutinize her. Let's not criticize her. Let's not ignore her. Let's speak words of encouragement to her and come alongside to her. And then they say this in verse 9. If she is a wall, if we do our job, we will build towers of silver on her. In other words, she will grow up strong. She will be impenetrable. She will bring glory to God. But if she's a door, we will have to enclose her. She'll need protection. She'll be vulnerable. She'll be in danger. And then the sisters go on to say, I am a wall. I'm already strong. And my breasts are like towers. I know. I know the men are in here. They're like dying, but. <laughs> and then it says, thus, I have become in his eyes like one bringing contentment. This older sister is saying, my life is already glorifying God. She's saying, I'm already mature. In other words, this is my favorite part. I'm a double D in the spirit. <laughs> I love saying this. It's the only time I will ever say this. She's basically saying, I'm a double D in the spirit. She says, but my sister is in a training bra and I want my sister to grow up and be strong because Christianity isn't about you. It's about you and everyone you affect. Side note, someone is, is always smaller or larger than you are. You might be a C, but somebody in church is a B. You might be an A, but somebody's a double A. You might be a double A, but someone's in a training bra. 
It may be a double D, but someone's a triple D. We can always learn from and we can always pour out into someone else. And she's saying this, because I'm connected to the bridegroom, I'm connected to whom the bridegroom loves. She's basically saying, I've got to train her because in turn, she will train others. And the church at large has moved out of the birthing room, which is the primary fundamental purpose of the church, to make disciples, to give birth and make disciples, new life, make disciples. But my question today is, where are the midwives? Those that have a true concern, those that will go the distance. Churches are becoming like spas, like a cosmetic center. We come to church for a little nip and tuck, a little injection of collagen. The pastor has to be a masseuse. Otherwise, he has to rub them the right way. Otherwise, people leave and they find another spa. And we've become more concerned with receiving a blessing than being a blessing. Titus 2.3 says older women, not old women, older women, seasoned women, women who have stood the test of time, women who have walked through the valley of the shadow of death and have lived to talk about it. Teach, teach, pour your life into the younger. Doesn't mean that the person's young, they're just younger in the Lord. And that word teach means train. Nurture, mentor, empower, breathe life into the not so seasoned. Give of your spiritual breast so there won't be an orphan spirit in the house of God. A generation of believers that grow up and they're wet behind the ears because you're too busy sitting in your seat saying, where's my place? Maybe I need to pray more. Maybe I need to read more. And then there's the next day and the next day. And you're not pouring out what's been poured in. In Galatians 4.19, I want you to look at Paul's language. He's Paul the midwife. And you know, I love Paul because he always re relates to someone. In Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, he's Paul the runner. He says, I run the race. In 1 Timothy 6.12, he says, I fight the good fight. He's Paul the warrior. In Philippians 3.13, he's Paul the hunter. He says, I forget about last year. I strained forward. I'm reaching upward. Maybe last year I didn't bring home a prize, but this year I'm bringing home something and I'm putting it on my mantle. And now in Galatians, he's Paul the midwife. It's so personal. He says, my dear children, he says, I'm once again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. The Apostle Paul is basically saying, I'm not a drive-by. I'm not a fly-by-night. I'm carrying you in my spiritual womb again. I'm going to bat for you again until I see Christ formed inside of you. That word until means I am in it for the long run. 1 Thessalonians 2, 7b, he paints a picture of total intimacy, care and concern for those he was connected to. He says, we were gentle amongst you as a nursing mother. 
We were, not only the Apostle Paul, it's not only for the pastor, it's not only for Yvonne and, and Libby and, and, and Puri, it's not only for them, it's for each and every one of us. We were gentle amongst you as a nursing mother. Here, Paul is a breastfeeding mother. He doesn't compare himself to a father. He compares himself in instance, in this instance, as a breastfeeding mother. And he goes on to say in 1 Thessalonians 2.8, we loved you so much. Where did he get that? For God so loved the world. We didn't just love you. We so loved you that we not only shared the gospel with you, but our very lives as well. We shared our lives. We didn't only give you the word. <laughs> I'm not just a preacher on a Sunday. No, I gave you my life because I'm a breastfeeding mother. Years ago, my son was doing a conference. It was called Misfit, and it was for youth, and my husband was one of the speakers. And there was a man there from Zondervan Books, and he was one of the head guys. And he came to us at the end. He called us over and he said, you know, as you were preaching, Pastor Durso, I was looking at you. And he kept saying, what's different about him? What's different? Because there were amazing, amazing preachers at this conference. And he said, I finally got it. He said, in the church, there's great leaders. There's great CEOs. There's great administrators. He said, but the church is in need of fathers. The church is in need of mothers. And he turned to us and he says, you, sir, are a father. And he said, you, ma'am, you're a mother. And I believe, ladies, that I have cracked the code to being ageless. I do. Because breastfeeding mothers, and that's what you're all called to, to do, to be. Stop saying I don't know the Bible enough. Whatever you know, give it out. And then God will pour more in. <laughs> Breastfeeding mothers, they're fearless. They're shameless. They're selfish, selfless. They don't care about their body image being altered. They're, they're sacrificial. They, they're, they're committed. They're, they're patient. There's nothing as compassionate as a breastfeeding mother. So I want to give us seven breastfeeding uh, uh, facts, okay? Fact number one, an interdependent relationship is formed. Too many of us in church are independent. I come and go when I want. See, because we don't realize that maybe your smile might change somebody's life that day. That your hug, maybe you're not up here preaching, but what does it matter? Maybe your one word of encouragement will make somebody leave outside of those doors with a total different paradigm shift because you decided to come to church. I don't know where we got this idea that I come when I want to come. I come when it's convenient for us. I know I sound like a legalistic nut. But I am telling you, the church has swung the total opposite way. And there's no, we're independent. Nobody's going to tell me what to do and when to come. The Bible says, don't forsake the gathering of the saints. Don't forsake it. So it's very necessary for us to be in community with one another. It is our lifeline. 
So an interdependent relationship is formed when you breastfeed. The baby needs what the mother has, but the mother has to release what the baby needs. Otherwise, both would experience discomfort and pain. You know that when, when, when a baby needs to eat, the mother's breasts automatically fill up. She knows when the baby is hungry. Even if she's not in the vicinity, she's connected to her child. So with us, when you have an interdependent relationship, one with another in the body of, of Christ, you are quickened. You may be doing something, but you're quickened and you get a burden for somebody. You say, let me stop what I'm doing. Let me text that person. Let me call that person. I remember one day, my husband uh, got up one morning and there was a woman she used to come to, uh, well, when my husband was in Brooklyn Tabernacle, she was in the prison ministry with him. And um, we had seen her. She had moved away. She married somebody and moved to another state. And we happened to see her and she gave us her phone number and she put it on a little piece of paper. So Maybe eight months later, my husband gets up in the morning. He says, oh, my goodness, I have such a burden for this woman. And I said, he says, help me find the number. And I said, okay, I'll help. As soon as you finish breakfast, uh, we'll find the number. He says, no, we can't wait till breakfast. He says, I have to call this woman. So we go, and in all of these papers, and we find this little piece of paper. My husband calls her. And she says, Pastor Durso, she says, my husband walked out on me. She says, and I just put poison in a cup, and I was going to give it to my children, and I was going to drink it. Imagine if we would have waited till after breakfast. The woman ended up moving back, and she is still in our church today. And this happened over 20-something Years ago, interdependent. We have a divine connection with one another. And because somebody is, is, is dependent on us, we got to watch our intake, just like a breastfeeding mother, right? We have to watch what we take in. We have to watch what we watch. We have to watch what we listen to. Because we're interdependent, Whatever we're taking in is going to come out of us. So we have to watch our diet, so to speak, because input equals outtake. Fact number two, an intergenerational relationship is formed. Both yearn for one another. The mother gets to feed the child from what's inside of her and gets to watch the baby transform right before her eyes. A bond is formed. And the same is true spiritually. We need one another. Every Mary needs an Elizabeth to validate and bear witness that what Mary was carrying in her womb was from heaven. Every Ruth needs a Naomi to help her find her Boaz. Every Timothy needs a Paul to father him. Every Joshua needs a Moses to show him the way up into the presence of the Lord. But on the other hand, Elizabeth needed Mary to validate that what Elizabeth was carrying in her womb was alive and kicking. Naomi desperately needed Ruth because Ruth gave her a new purpose. Paul desperately needed Timothy 
because I believe Timothy taught Paul how to be tender. And Moses needed Joshua to get the people to where they were destined to go. See, their destinies were wrapped up in one another. It's interdependent, intergenerational. Our destinies are wrapped up in one another. And let me say this. Years ago, church somehow changed. We went from it all being about God to it all being about us. What's my purpose? What's my dream? Your purpose on this earth is to be conformed in his image and likeness and have other people follow you as you're following Christ. That's our purpose. It doesn't sound sexy, but that's exactly what it is. Look at what it says in 1 Thessalonians 3, 7 and 8. If you're going to put that scripture. In all our distress, I want you to hear the language. In all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged because of your faith. For now we are standing firm in the faith. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have received in the presence of God because of you? The Apostle Paul is having a glory fit because people he loves are standing firm, even though he's being persecuted. His joy was connected to someone else's success. In other words, if you're doing good, then I'm doing good. See, that's real life. One breastfeeding mother said, I bought a breastfeeding book, and she says there's something so right about a system that makes one human that makes one human being responsible for another. That's what the body of Christ is all about. It's the same is true for the body of Christ. The spiritual cycle of life is only active when we're imparting life. Not when you're sitting in your room, you know, upset and miserable that nobody called you. Love one another, the Bible says, as you've been loved. You took it in? Comfort one another as you have been comforted. As freely as you have been given, freely give. Look at what it says in Philemon. The Apostle Paul says this, I pray that you would be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing you have in Christ. See, we have it backwards. We want to know God's will first. Then we want to share our faith. He's saying, no, share your faith. Then you'll know what God's will is. He's going to heal you along the way. The bottom line is this. If you want to be blessed, you got to be a blessing. Years ago, uh, when we were going to Brooklyn Tabernacle, we know each other over 40 years. And um, so uh, when I started to go there, of course, the church wasn't big like it is now. But it, it was a, a good size. I had come from a very, very small church. So I wanted to meet people. And I learned to drive to go to the Brooklyn Tabernacle. And my husband had to work on Sunday mornings. So I said to the Lord, God, I, I want to meet people. I, at the time, I only had two kids. They were babies. And uh, the Holy Spirit told me, pray during the service and then invite them to come to your house after the service, right? So they had an 11 o'clock and a 6 o'clock, I believe it was. So, right? 7 o'clock. So an 11 and a 7. So he said to me, after the service, I'm going to show you who to invite. 
and go up to them and just say, hi, I'm Maria Gerso. Um, would you like to come to my house? My husband worked for his dad. They, they have a ravioli business, an Italian pasta business. So of course he would come and he would bring the food and then we would all eat and then we'd all go back to church at night. So we had a station wagon, right? So every week I would go to people and it would be all different people. It would be a couple, it would be a single, it would be somebody young, it would be somebody old. And I'd say, hi, I'm, and every week the people came. And at that time you didn't have car seats. So I would throw my kids in the back of the, the babies. They were rolling around in the back somewhere. <laughs> and I would shove people in my car. We would get home and I would cook and, and we would have a great time. I know Yvonne and Pastor were part of that group. And, and every week I would invite different people. So after about three years, I'm in church one Sunday. This is the truth. And I am just, um, you know, I'm praying, I'm worshiping God. And I said, God, who should I invite today? And all of a sudden I hear this voice. And I know you've heard this voice. You've been inviting all these years and no one's ever invited you. Anybody? Come on. Nobody's ever invited you. So now I'm worshiping and I'm like, that's so true. Nobody's ever invited me. So the end of the service comes. And um, now my, my two-year-old is probably five. And, and my newborn baby is like uh, two and a half. So my five-year-old's pulling my skirt. Because, of course, we never wore pants in those days. And he's saying, mommy, mommy, who are we going to invite? Now, I am waiting for someone to invite me. But meanwhile, I couldn't go with them because I had to go home because I had the car to get my husband to go. But see, when we get in that state, right, we, common sense goes out the window, right? Because we're all in our feelings, nothing more than feelings, right? So people are leaving the church and they're like, bye, Maria. Bye, Maria. And my son is like pulling on my skirt. Who are we going to invite? I'm like, shh. <laughs> and before you know it, the whole sanctuary empties out. And there I am, pitiful, pitiful. <laughs> so I get to the car, and I had to put the key in the door because life was so hard. I, we didn't have to beep, beep. <laughs> Of those kids in the car. I go, you see, God, I've been inviting people and no one's ever invited me. And the Holy Spirit says to me, now, I don't know what Holy Spirit you have. And I don't know what Holy Spirit the people on TV have because they always have cherubim and seraphim that come down swirling around them. My Holy Spirit's different. My Holy Spirit grew up in Manhattan. And he said to me, I didn't call you there to be invited. I called you there to invite. And you've missed a week of doing my will. Don't let it happen again. Okay. <laughs> if you want to be 
blessed be a blessing. Fact number three, when you breastfeed, your uterus becomes stronger. The same is true spiritually. The more you breastfeed people in the spirit, the more spiritual children you'll be able to hold. Fact number four, the more you breastfeed, the more your milk increases. When a mom starts the process, right, she has the baby, she's sitting in that bed. I'm sure she's thinking, I don't have what it takes to go the distance. But in the subtraction comes the addition. And let me just say this. Do you know that breast milk is a superfood? That it literally changes as the baby grows. Your breast milk changes. Do you know that God will give you whatever you need at the time when that person that you're breastfeeding needs it? It will change according to the need. But see, we're fearful. We look and we say, well, I don't have what it takes. But God's word says, open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Open your heart and I'll give you rivers of compassion. Unless we expel what we do have, we'll never have an increase. I want you to think about the widow in 2 Kings 4. She's a widow. Her husband was a prophet. And now she's about to lose her son. All life is being taken away from her. And her home is about to be empty. So she goes to the prophet Elisha. And she talks to him. And he asks her, what do you have in your house? Notice. Now, if I was that woman, I'd be like, excuse me, what do I have in my house? You're the prophet. You need to give me something. But he turns around, he says, what do you have in your house? Because oftentimes what we need, we already have. We're waiting to get it from someone else, but we already have it on the inside. She says, I only, she says, I have nothing except a jar of oil. In other words, I am just hanging in there. And that literally meant I only have one anointing of oil for me. But the prophet said to her, go into your neighborhood and find empty jars and don't stop at just a few. Notice the answer to her lack was finding vessels emptier than herself and pour out what little she had. And once she started pouring, her supply became limitless. The prophet told her, bring them in your house. Bring them close to you and get to pouring. And as she poured out, oil reproduced oil. What she had, she reproduced in someone else. And notice when she stopped pouring, the oil stopped flowing because God doesn't waste his anointing. The anointing was meant to be given away. Fact number five, in order to breastfeed, you have to take your shirt off. You got to be bare. You got to be naked. You got to be transparent. You got to be vulnerable. You got to share your trials and your triumphs, your strengths and your weaknesses. See, fear says, I've got to appear perfect. Fear says, don't let them see your imperfections. Fear says, I don't have what it takes. I only have a little, mine are too small, mine are too droopy. <laughs> but the baby doesn't see the mother's imperfections. That baby just loves their mommy's breast. Listen, baby Christians are dying of thirst. And we're still waiting for our purpose. Our biggest fear is accepting 
that we do have something to give and take responsibility to give it out. Maybe Pastor Jason could help me. Fact number six, there's hazards to breastfeeding. Your nipples might get sore. Sometimes they bleed. And you may have to put salve on them yourself. In other words, you've got to anoint yourself and keep on going. Some moms develop something called mastitis, and that's a serious infection in the tissue around the breast. And the mother is urged to breastfeed despite the pain because the breast milk isn't affected. You see, God's word is never affected when you give out the pure word of God, no matter what you're going through. And if a mom stops, her ducts will clog up and she'll get an abscess and it will require spiritual draining. So it's better in the long run for the mom to push through in order to avoid the knife and to avoid scarring. And chances are, guys, when you breastfeed, you're going to get bit. And getting bit can make you bitter. So what do we do when we get bit? We button up. We put our shirt back up. We swear off putting ourselves out there again. There's a story in 1 Samuel. And it's about David and Michal. And Michal was Saul's daughter. And if you know the story, David slays Goliath. And there's a party. There's a celebration. And Michal, Saul's daughter, falls in love with David. So the only requirement is, is that he has to, because he was poor, he was from a poor family. He has to bring a hundred Philistine foreskins to Saul. I don't know how he did it. I don't want to know. But the Bible says that he was so in love with her, he got 200. So could you imagine counting them out? 42, 67, 100. Oh yeah, 115, 125, 186, 200. That's the dowry. And they fall in love and they get married. And Saul, he, he hated David. He was jealous of him. So one day he sends men to their house. But Michal, she loves him so much, she lets him out a window. She puts something in the bed to pretend that it's David. I want you to remember that she lets him out a window. And now the Bible calls her David's wife. Very important. So 20 years pass, and a lot of stuff happened to Michal because David is now on the run, and her father, who was supposed to be a believer in God, anointed, appointed by God, he gives her to someone else, and she's manhandled. She's seeing a lot of stuff in the house. She's seeing a lot of jealousy. She's seeing a lot of competition. And finally, David gets her back. So now she's with him. And now David has another victory. There's another party. 
He brings the Ark of the Covenant back. But this time, Mikal isn't at the party. She's sitting at a window. And it's a window that is still in Israel. It's very long and narrow. And, and darts or weaponry cannot get in. But you could shoot darts out. And David is dancing. Victory. But the Bible says she despised him. She's looking from a distance and she's criticizing him. You see, she's been bit. And now the Bible calls her Saul's daughter because she reverted back. She allowed her trial and her offenses. She got bit. And now she turns back to her old nature. And while David is dancing and all these slave women, the servant girls, they're all dancing with him. He goes, no, I gotta go home. And I gotta bless my wife. And let me just say this, guys. A man, it doesn't matter who compliments him. It doesn't, it doesn't mean as much as when his wife compliments him. Don't let someone else do your job. Don't let somebody else compliment your husband. You'll be the one to compliment him. You'll be the one to dance around him and love him. So she goes and she meets him. And he goes home to bless her. He leaves the party. And she says all these derogatory things to him. And you never hear of David dancing again. She stepped on his toes. Some of us were in church and we've been in church a long time and we've seen a lot of stuff. Because a lot of stuff happens in church. Because we're all human. We've been hurt. We still come. We're faithful. But we're like Mikal. We're not part of the festivities. We've withdrawn from the party. And we're looking behind those lens. And we're shooting darts out. We're criticizing. And we've dried up. Because breastfeeding fact number seven, if you want to dry up, stop breastfeeding. If you want to dry up, Stop giving of your spiritual breast to someone else. I believe that there are people in this room, you may be older in the Lord, and you've never started the process because you're guarded. You always have your shirt on. I'm not going to really let people see. They might see that I'm not all that in a bag of chips. Nobody is. And then there were those that you've been bit and it's painful and you've buttoned up and you withdrawn. But I believe that God wants those that haven't started the process to start and those that have stopped the process to start again. Think about this, both of those women, both of those things are rooted in fear. 
fear to start the process and fear to start again. You know, women, when you stop connecting, your flow stops. I've been there. But the same wall that keeps people out keeps God out. And the pain of being bit is agonizing, but the pain you experience when you dry up, that is so much more agonizing. God wants to heal us today. I believe this is the word of the Lord. Listen, guys. The days are late. The hour is late. And we've got to stop. We can't be the same people we were last year. So if you're here today, it's going to take a lot of bravery. You say, I've never started the process because I'm afraid. I'm afraid I don't have what it takes to give to someone else. I want you to raise your hand. Every eye closed. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And there are some of you here that you've been bit. And you've been hurt. It's been real. And God wants you to unbutton that shirt once again because you have so much anointing inside of you. You have so much inside of you that someone else needs. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Thank you, 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 thank you. God wants those guards down. So, so many of you have raised your hand. I'm going to ask Pastor Jason to just sing, Lord, prepare me. Let's sing it like a prayer meeting. And as you see fit, you want to stand, you want to sit, you want to raise your hands. We're going to sing this old song.
use me whatever you want whatever you want whatever you want it's not my life anymore God it's not my life anymore God you fill my jar I'll pour it out you fill my jar I'll pour it out Father, we pray. Hallelujah. God, right now, one clog our spiritual breasts, Lord. And let that pure milk of the word flow, oh God, through us. Give us the courage, oh God, to unbutton our shirt and start the process once again, Lord. God, I pray for the anointing, oh God, that is already in us, oh God, to come out of us, to be poured out on somebody else's life. God, we have been called for such a time as this. So I thank you, Lord, that even now, we're never going to think again. I got to read more. I got to pray more. It's not that we're too empty. It's that we're too full. And you want that overflow, God, to come from our lives. Thank you, God, that our days of dryness are over because we've gone to the source and we see, God, what satisfies you will satisfy us. I pray for divine connections in this house, Lord. Divine connections, God, one with another. Holy friendships, God holy friendships God let us build one another up in the faith oh God let us love as you've loved us God in the name of Jesus I want to end with this scripture because this is the blessing in Exodus 2 9 Pharaoh's daughter said to Moses' mother Take this baby and nurse it. And nurse it for me. And I will pay you for your help. Our payment comes from him. We thank you, Lord. We give you the glory and the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Amen.